Well, good evening to all of you. It's a pleasure to be able to share with you this presentation. As already mentioned, uh, Mission College of Evangelism is a uh, training center that we, my wife who's president of Mission College and I began back in 1996. Uh, and from that school, many, many people have uh, graduated and uh, we have trained many evangelists. Uh, for example, John Brashaw was one of our uh, trainees uh, many years ago. Um, we also uh, trained uh, people like Steve, uh, I mean, uh, David Ashwick, and uh, also uh, the uh, Josiah School of Evangelism in Germany. The, the people who are running that uh, were actually students of ours. So. We have had um, branches of our program in many different places of the world. And today we're establishing one in Thailand. We're going to establish another one in Nazareth and one in Bhutan under the Adventist World Radio program. Uh, just so that uh, you, you know, um, I would be sharing with you material, uh, but we have several books to share with you. Uh, one is called Gaining Decisions for Christ. This will be uh, a uh, textbook for the next seminar that will be given, but it's an excellent textbook, especially for those who give Bible studies, because it helps you to understand how to not just give the study, but how to help people make decisions in favor of Christ. So Gaining Decisions for Christ. Another one is called Great Stories for Gaining Decisions. And that I wrote because I discovered that many people do not have uh, heart-touching material that appeals to the hearts of those that they're studying with. So great stories for getting decisions are stories, uh, uh, and along with the stories, the uh, appeal and the actual verbiage or the words for making that appeal. Then another one is called bought us some of the certain Bible passages. And this one I've also written because there are a lot of verses in the Bible that seem to be confusing or disturbing. And I've written this book, especially for people who are witnessing, because oftentimes somebody will throw a verse of scripture at you and tell you this is what it says. But the book, you can open it up, go to that scripture and give the actual biblical answer for that verse of scripture that somebody's is misusing or misunderstanding. So the sermon Bible passages. Uh, so among these, there are other books that I've written, but these three books in particular uh, will apply to what I'm doing in terms of seminars uh, this week for you folks. Uh, here's my contact information. You can take a picture of it if you see the screen. That way you don't have to hurry and try to write something down. This is my personal information. So if you have a question or, that you are wanting an answer for, it's, I'll be more than glad to present it or answer that as time permits. Um, so let's talk about cultivating interest and conducting Bible studies. But let's pray first. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can study together. And we pray that as we do so, that you will help us to become better equipped to help others to find their way to the kingdom. We thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I should tell you that 
there are three components that are essential when you come to developing a Bible study. One is called the introduction, one is called a body, and the third is called the appeal. So notice, intro, body, and appeal. It is important to understand that those three components make up the total of either a sermon or a Bible study. So you have to have an intro introduction into your Bible study, either by an illustration or by a story or by a question, but something that uh, generates interest into the actual topic that you are going to be sharing. For example, there was a little boy who was walking by a cemetery and he came across the tombstones and the writing of the tombstones. And on one he read, stop my friend, for as you are, so one was I. As I am now, so shall thou be. So be prepared to follow me. Well, that little boy was not interested in following him. And so he wrote back a little response. To follow you, I'm not content until I know just where you went. Well, obviously, that introduction then leads me into the body. So I would then say, uh, many are concerned about where they're going. Are you? Let's find in the word of God the answer to where do people go when they die? So that was a very brief introduction that launches me into the body. Then the body is where you fill up the information. Uh, it's where you uh, then use your references where you use your text, where you use your illustration, charged, in order to help the person follow through from intro into the body. And finally, the appeal is where you actually appeal for the person to yield themselves to that that they have just received. Now, notice I didn't say intro, body, and conclusion. I said intro, body, and appeal. Because if you only conclude, you will not help people make decisions in favor of what you have been sharing. And again, for the conclusion, you need to actually use some story, some personal experience, some illustration that helps that person understand the need to yield to not just information, but to yield their hearts to that which they have learned. So those are the three components of a Bible study. And um, then we go into the actual developing that particular uh, component. So let me go back to here and let me make sure that I'm pushing the right button. Now, you may ask, which is the best study to use? And so the question is, uh, the ideal method for cultivation uh, is the in-home study, but which study should you use? We discovered that uh, you can give book and information to people, but the reality is that until you actually sit down with the person, I either through the cell phone, which you can do cell phone evangelism today, or your iPad, where you're actually talking face-to-face -to, -face to somebody, uh, then that's the ideal way to uh, actually develop that person into a good Bible student 
and uh, you can go step with uh, and step with them through what you're presenting. Now, we know that the home Bible study or the personal Bible study will actually be the best way as it is now. And finally, I want you to notice this prophecy. We're told hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest. Now, I want you to notice it says that there's a, a vision or prophecy where hundreds and thousands went visiting families and opening before them the word of God. So obviously, if they are visiting, then this is something that's being done uh, house to house. So good news then, that that is yet to come. Now, what's interesting is this, we have hundreds of pastors, but we have thousands of members. So this includes the pastors and the membership that the final work to be done will be to visit people and actually talk to them about the word of God. Now, personal influence is a power. The more direct our labor for our fellow men, the greater good will be accomplished. I think that speaks for itself. Which is the best Bible study to use? Well, the answer to that is the one that you are in love with. If you have a Bible study that you really have are, are accustomed and acquainted with it, and you've used it already, or you have studied it yourself, and from it you've gained insight into God, into his word, then that would be the best one to use because it has impacted you personally. However, there are many Bible study series out there. For example, there's uh, your own Bible study that you can develop. At Mission College, we actually teach people how to develop those Bible studies. And uh, they have to write the Bible studies. And then we go over the study to make sure that it has those three components intact and uh, that they're being uh, useful. Then there's uh, the Bible set, which is an, a one that you can buy at an ABC store, the it is written Bible study said that it's out there, the encounter, the discover uh, Bible studies, Amazing Facts also has a series of Bible studies. Crisis Center is one that I have particularly uh, written and I will share that with you later on. And of course, there may be others out there that I'm not acquainted with because in different countries, people develop different Bible studies. But the best one to use is the one that you're comfortable with, uh, and especially the one that has the best rate of success. So if you know that a Bible study is good, for example, when I first started giving Bible studies, I used to use the it is written Bible study. Because in those days, that was the best series of studies that I felt was available, and I liked it better. Uh, so I used that. And many, many people went to the Lord. I don't use that any longer because uh, in time I've developed my own and I feel more comfortable with the way that I have developed the study uh, as opposed to what it is written or Amazing Facts has done. Even though uh, when we train students to go door to door, we may uh, use the it is written Bible studies or we may use the Amazing Facts Bible studies uh, to share with the community as they knock on doors. Now, 
we are also instructed in Bible studies to make sure that we can use uh, charts or illustrations or personal experiences. Now, that's what it says in the book Evangelism. Instruction was given clearly and distinctly that charts should be used in the presentation of truth. And so it's important to use illustrations, use charts, because the mind has an easier way to follow the direction that you're taking in your study. Number two, uh, when you are thinking of giving a Bible study and you're sitting with somebody, don't take anything for granted. In other words, don't assume that people really know their Bibles. Some people may know a few verses of scripture. They may throw that at you just like I knew. I know several words in different languages. And sometimes I speak them well enough that people think that I speak the language. And so I know enough to get in trouble. So sometimes when uh, people throw out verses at you, they're trying to let you think that they are well acquainted with the scriptures. But don't take that for granted. Always start with people with the basics. And if they really know the scriptures, you will find out very quickly that they actually know more and therefore you can get in deeper. But most of the time it's better to start out with the basics. So don't take anything for granted. Number uh, three, uh, you should consider the purpose of the study. Uh, and it may be well if you're writing your own studies to state a purpose. What is it that I am trying to do with the study? What am I trying to accomplish with it? Because if you state a purpose, then it's easier for you to stay within that purpose in the, in the Bible study. Otherwise, you will be going here and there and everywhere with your Bible study. So state a purpose. And uh, the letter A on the number three is help the person to accept Christ in his entirety. It is not sufficient for us to give information. Uh, Christ is a person. Therefore, we need to lead people not just to information, but to the Savior himself. And so very important for us to remember that. The wonderful love of Christ will melt and subdue the hearts when the mere reiteration of doctrines would accomplish nothing. So when you're giving a Bible study, when you're making a Bible study, it's important to make sure that you have put Jesus into the study, not just as a name that you insert into the study, but how that study actually relates to Christ. Then as we continue on, pray with these souls by faith laying them at the foot of the cross. Carry their minds up with your mind and fix the eye of faith where you look upon Jesus, the sin bearer. Get them to look away from their poor sinful selves to the Savior and the victory is won. In other words, if you lead them to a relationship with Christ, the Lord will then bring that person to the place where they can surrender to him. If you only just give facts, then you're given information. There are many people who have read the Bible from cover to cover, but they have read it simply for information. They have not read it as something that is inspired by God. Consequently, they can read the entire Bible and come out just as much an atheist or agnostic uh, as before. So the purpose of Bible studying is to lead them to a person. That person is Christ. Always appeal to the heart. When you are 
dealing with people, you want to reach the heart. And you must remember that. And we'll deal with that more later on. Deal with things that you can agree upon first. Sometimes we try to start with the things that are completely distinct and different than uh, what the person is acquainted with. But in order to win friends uh, and to win confidence, it's always to let them feel that there is mutual understanding in certain areas. And if you start with the basics, then it's easier to win that person's confidence into something deeper. So deal with things that you can agree upon first. I don't start out with the Sabbath with people, for example, or with the mark of the beast, uh, etc. I start out with basics of the Bible, Christ, and his love, uh, salvation, uh, etc. Then don't feel you must say that you're an SDA uh, to begin with. Now, there are some people who feel that, that if you don't say you're an SDA, you're deceiving or you're being deceptive, etc. The reality is that that's not, that's not true. Uh, the, what I have discovered is this, that many times we set up before us uh, barriers that turn people away. And there's no need to set up barriers to begin with. Uh, they will find out you're an SDA soon enough. But uh, I, I have had people um, actually rebuke me saying, what's the matter, Pastor? Are you ashamed that you're a Seventh-day Adventist? No, that's not it. Uh, here's what I've discovered. When I was working as a uh, vice president for Amazing Facts many years ago, we discovered that uh, when our evangelists would go into town, people would try to find out who they were. But the people who were trying to find out who they were were actually preachers from other denominations that were trying to discover if this was Adventist. And if it was, then they would send the alarm so nobody would come to the meeting. So we would try then to not give that information to begin with so that they could not turn people away. People would find out soon enough if we were SDAs or not by our teaching. And so here's a statement. In laboring in a new field, do not think it your duty to say at once to the people, we are Seventh-day Adventists. We believe that the seventh day is the Sabbath. We believe in the non-immortality of the soul. This would often erect a formidable barrier between you and those you wish to reach. So what's important is not that you're an SDA. What's important is that you believe and know Jesus. That's what's important. And you want to help people know that you know Jesus. What do you say? I think I can hear an amen. Uh, number seven, use personal experiences. If you notice, if I've been sharing with you, I've also uh, have been sharing personal experiences. So you may think you don't have any experiences. In reality, you do. The more you share with people, the more you realize that there are many things that are uh, common. For example, if I'm traveling on the plane and I want to get acquainted with the person sitting next to me, I may ask them the question, are you traveling for business or pleasure? I listen to their response. And they say, business, what kind of business? And then they tell me, if I'm acquainted with the business, oh, yeah. And then we talk about their business. If I'm not, I say, oh, I don't know anything about that. Can you share that with me? And then we begin to talk about their business. And so coming uh, to deal with people on mutual um, uh, topics helps us to develop relationships that enable us then to get into deeper uh, subjects. Okay. 
then it's important when you're studying with people to stick to the topic you're presenting. Always stick to the topic you are presenting. Now, um, there may be times when people will ask you many questions and that's okay. We'll deal with that in just a minute. But what I'm afraid is that sometimes people think that they're only in one topic when in reality they're in three or four topics that they're trying to cover at the same time. This is something that I find with students who come to our school. We ask them to do a Bible study and as they're presenting the Bible study, they don't realize that they're talking about several different topics uh, in one topic. And so then we help them to flesh that out and come down to understanding how to stick to that one topic that you're presenting. And if you take, for example, Bible studies that I'm mentioning, like the Either's Written or the um, Amazing Facts studies or others that may be out there, the Discover, et cetera, you will notice that they always stick with one topic, one topic, one topic. And so there are many different subjects in the scriptures and if you stick to the topic, it's easier for people to follow along with those particular topics. Keep the mind concentrated on a few vital points, is the counselor. Do not bring unimportant ideas into your discourses. God would not have you think that you are impressed by his spirit when you fly from your subject, bringing in foreign matters that have nothing to do with the point in question. So it's very important to make sure that you stick to that particular topic. And uh, what if then people ask you questions? Well, you can try to answer them in a sentence or two and continue on with your study. Because normally speaking, when you do a study, you want to do a study from uh, 30 to no longer than 50 minutes. Uh, because it's better to give a, a topic within a short amount of time and next time people are waiting to see you for the next topic but if you stay there two hours and three hours over the same topic you wear them out and next time they want to hide from you because they're going to think that you're going to take up the whole day so if you do studies do it within a certain period of time and people will then know what to count on in terms of their own time their own business their own work on their own family experience. So answering in a sentence or two usually suffice. However, if it doesn't suffice, then promise to answer the question at the end of the study, if the question has to do with the study. Now here's one important thing that I discovered. People will ask you questions, sometimes the enemy will put questions in their minds without them realizing it, and they'll ask you the question. And many times if you answer the question, you did not have enough time to really be convincing. And what you've done is you've given them enough information to cut you off. So if the question is in relationship to the topic, finish the study and then say, remember the question that you asked. Here's the answer to your question. However, uh, sometimes the questions will preempt you. That means that it'll be in advance to what you want to consider. So as an evangelist, when people ask questions of me, and I know I'm going to be presenting it later on, I would tell you that's a good question, and I will be covering that in a full study later on. So let's uh, continue with the study. Uh, if you don't know the answer to the question, then promise that you will explain it in the future study. 
So write it down. You can say that's a good question and uh, write it down and we'll answer that. So when they see you writing down the question, they know that you have considered their question important. They also know that you recognize that you have enough, uh, the amount of time to cover the topic that you want to cover. And so most people are respectful and they'll say, okay, yeah, if we're gonna cover it, that's fine with me. But if you don't know the answer, don't think you have to have all the answers. Nobody has all the answers. What you want to do is say, you know, that's a good question. I don't have the answer for that at this moment, but I'll study it. And when I get back with you, I will bring you the answer. I had a situation when I was in the army a long time ago, I just become a Christian and the, the assistant to the chaplain threw a text at me that I had never seen before. Well, I rarely had studied the Bible. So I didn't know anything about the Bible, just became converted, decided I wanted to follow the Lord. And I began to read the Bible. Well, he threw me this text and he was the assistant to the chaplain in the military. And I, he had a master's degree uh, and I, I was a master dummy. I didn't have any uh, real education. I was a professional musician, but I, I could barely read. So I got nervous and I said, you know, I don't have the answer for that. Well, it's black and white, he said, it's black and white. I said, yes, I see it black and white, uh, but uh, I'd like to study it myself and I'll, I'll come back to you. It took me 30 days to study out that question and finally, when I got the answer, I went back uh, loaded to give him the uh, response. And when I saw him, I said, Sam, I've studied that out and I have the answer. You have some time, he said, that's okay. When you refuse to accept it, it made me angry. But he said, I, I decided that I better go study it again. And when I restudied it, you were right. So I'm sorry. So, but it took me 30 days to get the answer. Now, hopefully, if you're studying with somebody, it won't take you 30 days to get the answer. Today, you can get the answer very quickly. You can email, email me a question and I can send you the answer quite rapidly. So, uh, there are many, many questions that may come that you may not have the answer. Talk to your local pastor, uh, talk to somebody who, who is knowledge about the, the scriptures and then return back with the answer for that person, okay? Then it's important to arrange the topics logically. Uh, Mission White says that we ought to present the three angels' messages in their order. And that's interesting because uh, it doesn't start out with the third angel, it starts out with the first angel. And that means then that you start out with uh, the everlasting gospel because that's the first angel uh, with creation with the basic things about God, et cetera. And then you develop into the other topics that are deeper and a little bit more difficult for people to uh, get their heads around to, or to understand. So we uh, then only use the scriptures. When I give Bible studies or when I preach evangelistic meetings, I only use the Bible. And we can defend all of our doctrines from the scriptures. In fact, I have put together uh, all the 28 fundamental beliefs uh, in a series of Bible studies that I'll show you in, in a few moments. But here, what's important, in the, all the sermons and in all the Bible studies, let people see that on every 
point, a plain, thus saith the Lord, is given for the faith and doctrine which we hold. And so, very important, only use of scriptures. And as I said already, we can trace all of our principal doctrines uh, from beginning to end. Now, you may ask a question, or there may be somebody in the, in the audience uh, wondering uh, why the doctrines. Well, if you see doctrines solely as a group of facts, then I can understand your question. But if you understand the word doctrine, which means teachings, then it's different. When you teach doctrines, you're actually teaching the teachings that God has revealed in the scriptures. And all the doctrines are like pieces of a puzzle that when you put all these pieces together, it makes up Christ. So every doctrine points to Christ, or it should point to Christ. So it's not just facts, but rather a way of life that God has revealed through his scriptures to lead us to salvation. So the Bible then, and the Bible alone should be your uh, key text. Now, I mentioned a series of Bible studies that I put together. I call it Christ the Center. In fact, I have uh, in my hand here a flash drive. And in this flash drive, I have put all the 28 Bible studies in video form. I am actually teaching every doctrine. And you can take this flash drive, you can plug it into your phone and actually see me teaching a particular study uh, on a particular subject. Or you can plug it into a television or a monitor and you can sit down and watch my presentation with the charts and everything. So I have, fortunately today, you can do things like that. So on the video, there are 28 videos of my sharing our 28 fundamental beliefs as a Christ-centered presentation of every doctrine. So let me, for, for example, uh, illustrate what I'm saying. So that you know, it's important to understand that the Bible, which I'm holding before you, it uh, has four chapters that I want to focus on to begin with. The first two chapters and the last two chapters are mirror, mirror image in the sense of content or message. It begins with Eden and it ends with Eden. In other words, the first two chapters of the Bible starts out with a helping us to understand what happened in the beginning and the last two chapters what happens at the new beginning and the purpose of the bible is to teach us how to get from eden lost to eden restored so in the first eden the genesis chapter one and chapter two we find that there's a perfect home face-to-face -face communion with god perfect diet harmonious human relationship, eternal life, animal kingdom at peace. No death, no sorrow, no cry. That's in the first two chapters of the Bible. In the last two chapters of the Bible, we find the same thing. In Revelation 21 and 22, a perfect home, face-to-face -face communion with God, 
a perfect diet, harmonious human relationship, eternal life, animal kingdom at peace. And again, there's no sorrow, no sickness, no pain, no death. So you find then the beginning and the new beginning are the same. The purpose of the Bible then is to help you to know how to get from point A to point Z. From the first Eden to the new Eden that is coming. And if you understand that then, every doctrine is to help us to understand how to get from one to another. Therefore, we should be able to trace every particular teaching uh, from Eden to Eden. Now that may be a new concept to many of you, but let me, let me explain to you how it works. Christ is the bridge that bridges the Eden lost to the Eden restored. Without Christ, there would be no Eden to begin with, nor would there be any Eden to come. Christ is the center of the entire Bible. And it is he who is the center of every teaching that we have. Now, how does that work? Well, here's a, a simple chart. I know it's hard for some of you to see because of the small lettering. Uh, but basically, what I've done is uh, have a picture of the Eden lost with Adam and Eve leaving the garden and uh, showing that in the beginning they had a, a perfect uh, life, uh, but through sin, they became uh, in bondage. Man fell into sin and then wandered away from God. But through Christ the cross, man is restored back to God and eventually brought to the face-to-face -face communion with God again. In fact, Revelation uh, 22 says, and they shall see his face. And so what a wonderful promise. Now, how does that work? Well, here's a chart of uh, the first study that I have. And I'm going to walk you through this so you can see what I'm talking about. As already stated, we know that in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, there was a perfect world. And since there was a perfect world, there was perfect communication between God and man. In the new beginning, we find the same thing in Revelation 21 and 22. Now the question is, how, do, how does the word help us to get from the beginning to the new beginning? And here's the way it works. First of all, we know that in the beginning, man had a face-to-face -face communion with God. And if you have your Bibles, you can actually open them up to Genesis 1, verse 28. And you can see then that God is speaking with man. In Genesis 2, 15 through 17, God tells Adam, uh, warns him about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God then places him in the garden. So the Lord there is communicating with man face-to-face. Everything he needs to know, man needs to know, he has God right there to talk to. Wouldn't that be great if we could be back there? Well, in reality, we can now. But in those days, God was actually there with Adam. And so there was a face-to-face -face communion. In uh, the, the Revelation 21, verse 3, and 22, verse 4, we, we are know that we're told then that Man is back with God, and God is with him, and he will dwell with him. It's what it says in Revelation 21, verse 3. 
And Revelation 22, verse 4, that it's a face-to-face communion with God. So obviously, we're neither at the beginning nor we are at the new beginning. Is that true? We're someplace in between. How then do we get there through the scriptures? Well, we know that when sin came in, sin separated man from God. According to the scriptures in Genesis 3, verse 23 and 24, and Isaiah 59, verse 2. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says, your sin has separated between you and your God. And so sin separates and has separated mankind from God. But if man needed God's counsel before sin, he more desperately needed God's counsel after sin because he felt a subject or a victim to the wiles or the deception of the devil. And so what happened then? Adam then, who had the communication from God, began to communicate his, his information to his children. Uh, Seth and Cain, obviously, pardon me, Abel and Cain. Uh, obviously, Abel followed what his father taught him, but Cain did not, and then Abel died. And so then Eve had another son named Seth. In the Genesis chapter 4, verse 25 and 26, if you have your Bibles again, you can open it, and you see there then it says that Eve had another son called Seth. And she says, that God has given me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And then in verse 26, it says that man then began to call upon the Lord as a result of Seth. So Adam gave the information and counsel that God had given to him. He passed it on to his son, Seth. And Seth began to pass it on to his children. And so the communication continued by word of mouth. Okay. So now we see the communication going from word of mouth. And we know then that from Seth uh, to Enoch, we know that Adam was still alive when Enoch was born. And so we know that, that the counsel that was given by Adam, by Seth, passed on to Enoch, to Methuselah, and to Noah. So everything was being passed on by word of mouth. We call this, of course, word of mouth communication. We call it verbal communication. Now, fortunately, in the beginning, man was built with a tremendous mental capability. Uh, we didn't need computers. Our brains were the computers. And they could uh, memorize and have the abilities that we do not have today. And so all they needed to have was verbal communication. And so they would pass it on from father to son to son to son to son. But sometimes, I don't know how many of you have been in a classroom where the teacher tells you to whisper a certain message into somebody's ear, and then they whisper into another ear, into another ear, into another ear, and they go down 10 persons and discover that the 10th person has a different message than was given to begin with. So verbal communication began to get corrupted. And because it began to get corrupted, God had to do something about uh, that. And so um, we know that Adam passed it on to Noah, and we know that Noah was still alive when Abraham was born. So we know that they could get the information about God from Father Noah, or grandfather Noah by now. And so 
we understand that according to Genesis 25, verse 6, it says that Abraham uh, kept the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, and the laws. In other words, we know that the laws were not yet written. There's no place in the book of Genesis where it mentions uh, the actual Ten Commandments and the statutes and the judgments. So you have to ask the question, where did Abraham get that? Obviously, he got it from the verbal communication that came from God. Another thing that's important is that God began to use something called prophets. People who he specifically trusted and selected that would pass on the messages to mankind. And so we know that Noah was a prophet. We know, we know that Enoch was a prophet. Uh, so we know then that these people were prophets that God would give instruction to pass on to mankind. So Abraham by this time was well acquainted with the counsels of God, even though they were not yet written. Now, the time came that something had to be done because things began to get twisted. Joseph, we know, knew and understand the counsel because Joseph said, how can I commit this sin against God? How did Joseph know that adultery was sinful? Because he had been instructed by his father. So we know that they were well acquainted with God's principles of life, and uh, but that all was passed on by verbal communication. Finally, the need came after 2,600 years of verbal communication to have something called written communication. And so God then called a man named Moses, and uh, Moses, who was a Hebrew, by the way, Abraham was a Hebrew, and uh, it turns out that the Hebrew language goes on way beyond Abraham's time. Uh, this is a new discovery. And so Hebrew then was the language that God chose to use through Moses to write the, the commandments. Uh, think about the amazing thing. Had God written the Bible in hieroglyphics, because that's what Moses studied for 40 years, and that's what he was uh, surrounded with all this time, um, we would have not known what the Bible taught until 1822 when hieroglyphics was finally deciphered. It became a lost language until 1822. And so, thank God for his wisdom, he chose a simple language called Hebrew that only has 22 uh, letters in its alphabet. And that Hebrew today is the same Hebrew, basically, that had spoken back in the time of Abraham and Moses. And so now, God then writes the Old Testament uh, through Moses. And according to Exodus 17, verse 14 and 34, verse 1, God tells them to write the counsels in a book. And also, God wrote the Ten Commandments in tables of stone. So now we have not only verbal communication, so if you didn't get it straight verbally, you should get it straight written in the written form. And so God then gave the written communication to mankind. But even written communication can get distorted. And so we know then that God gave the Old Testament and the New Testament through people called prophets. According to Amos 3, 7, it says, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. So God had people that he trusted with his counsel to write it down so that people can receive it not only by hearing but by seeing it in written form so now we have the writings 
the counsel of God in written and verbal communication. Well, God gave divine inspiration, and the divine inspiration we call uh, the Bible. The uh, Bible actually uh, began to be written uh, about 1400 years before Christ through prophets, and these prophets wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote the counsel of God. In 2 Chronicles 26, verse 22, and Jeremiah 36, verse 24, we're told then that God tells him to write down the counsel. And so we are seeing then the writing down of, of the counsel of God. And so the Old Testament then, which began to be written about 1400 years before Christ. And I should tell you this, that the Old Testament is the oldest of any sacred writings that have been found. For example, the writings of the Hindus or the writings of Confucius or the writings of a Buddha or the writings of Muhammad. Those, all those are later, or should I say, uh, the Bible writings is the earliest of all uh, sacred writings. And what's interesting is that you usually will find some concept or some phrase in all of these other writings that I just mentioned that come from the Bible. Well, let's continue on. So we now have 1,500 years from the time that Moses began to write until the writing of the New Testament, which was 96 AD, with what is called the, the Bible. And so the Bible now is completely written, and God then has given verbal and written communication to mankind. What was the purpose of it? Well, it was the purpose of helping people understand uh, how to win the battle over the enemy with, with his deceptions or his tortures or whatever came their way. They, through the counsels of God, were able to overcome because they had the counsels of God to follow. Praise God for his divine counsel. But listen, these 66 books that are in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament, comprise what we call the entire Bible. And God says it is inspired. Now, the word then finally became flesh. Jesus then became the visible word of God. It's amazing, think about it. You had it in verbal form, you had it in written form, but people still could not see, and I'm using the word see in terms of understand what God was saying. So out of mercy then, the one who inspired the Bible to begin with, who was Jesus, actually made himself flesh. So not only could you hear it by word, not only can you hear it by the written form, but you can actually see the word of God in flesh. Amazing. What do you say? So we have then the written, we have the verbal, and we also now have the visual. So all the means that man has of receiving communication, God used to reach him. But all of this came through Christ. In other words, Jesus is the center of the entire Bible. The Old Testament is about Jesus. The New Testament is about Jesus. You may question that. You may say, well, I thought the Old Testament was about the Father. No, in reality, no man has ever seen the Father. Yet we know that Abraham saw the Lord. 
We know that Moses saw the Lord. We know that there are many people who saw the Lord. Even uh, Nebuchadnezzar, when he saw the third person, uh, the fourth person in the fiery uh, furnace. So we know then that people saw the Lord. Who was it that they were seeing? They were seeing Jesus. However, he was pre-incarnated. In other words, he had not yet become flesh. So in mercy to mankind, the Lord then not only became the means or the medium of communication from the top to bottom, but actually was the one who became flesh so that you can get it in the visual form. So if you could not get it verbally, you can get it visually. So the word then was to be preached and through the word then people would become converted as demonstrated in Acts chapter two, verse 14 through 40. Then of course, the Bible is declared to be the word of God. And uh, 2 Peter 3, 5 and 1 John 2, 14, it tells us then that it is the word of God. And so we see then that the role of the Bible is here identified as one that sanctifies us. In other words, makes us holy. It is of no private interpretation. Uh, Jesus is the main focus of the entire Bible. Salvation is found in the Bible. It is given for guidance, doctrine, correction, instruction. It has power to penetrate the thoughts. In other words, when uh, you hear the word of God, it enters into the mind and has power to actually change the way we think. Thank God for that. And we know that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So as we share the word of God with others, it awakens faith in them or trust in God. Uh, through the word, we become partakers of that divine nature. We lost that nature before. We can regain it through the word of God. It has power to resist evil. It gives us light. And the word, of course, is truth. And so we have then the Bible from beginning to end and through the scriptures. We are led from point to point from the beginning all the way through history to the time of Christ and beyond the time of Christ. So Christ then is the center of the Bible. And when you understand the word as leading to, to a person, then you realize that the more you read the Bible, the more you know Jesus, the more you can know about him, who is the word. Through the word, man is sanctified or made holy. And as man continues to climb in his encounter with Christ in holiness, he finally becomes a recipient of something called life eternal, which is the new beginning. And so there you have a, a uh, demonstration of showing how you can chart the Bible from beginning to new beginning and every doctrine we can chart from beginning to new beginning. And that is the state of the dead. That's talking about even the second coming. Uh, it, it, uh, all the different doctrines that we have, heaven, etc. you can actually trace from beginning to the new beginning. Isn't that wonderful? And now that you know that the Bible is in its entirety, heaven's communication down through us, then we must realize that, that we then have something of great value in our hands, the word of God. Now, if I were actually given this Bible study to somebody, 
then my appeal to them would be this. Now that you know that Jesus is the center of the scriptures, and you realize that without him, we would not be able to have this communication from heaven. He is the, he is the actual tower that through him emanates all the counsel of God throughout the world. Without Christ, there would be no counsel from God. There would be no knowledge of God. And we would end up simply just worshiping stones and rocks, etc., as many other people do. But through the scriptures, we find then it is a purpose. Are you willing to accept Jesus as the center of the entire Bible? Are you willing to do it now? And usually then, if they say yes, I would have prayer with them. And so, cultivating and giving a Bible study, here I'm going to show you the entire chart again and how to develop it. So we come from Eden lost to the Eden restored. You say amen to that. Now, if I'm giving a Bible study, it's always important to have the person have their own Bible so they can actually read it for themselves when you are studying with them. But if a person does not know how to read, then you could read it for them. But at least you could, you could uh, have the Bible yourself in your hands so they can see that you're actually reading from the Bible. And uh, normally speaking, when I'm doing the Bible studying, as if I did the one I just did, I would have the person read the verses of scripture that I showed up in the screen. Also, it's important to either six, sit uh, near them, but if you're a lady and you're a man, you sit across from them, uh, or side, catty corner, one to another, but with enough distance so that you can actually help them to find the verse because sometimes people don't know where, the, uh, where to start in the Bible. And one of the things I would encourage you is to, if the person's the first time in the Bible, take them to the table of contents and there show them the list of books and let them see that there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament and that the table of contents has a page where they can go to the particular uh, book. Then show them what a chapter is and what a verse is. So once they get that understanding, they become uh, more, uh, how can I say, uh, unfearful about delving into this mysterious book. Finding your way through it is important. And so the table of contents, then go to the page number, show them where that book is starting in that particular first chapter. Let them know what the first chapter is, how it's divided up into verses. And so then when you say, all right, let's try it again. Let's go to the Canaveral Contest. I want to look up the, the Old Testament book called Exodus. And so they look Exodus. What page number? Find the page number. And then go right to uh, the page in the Bible and say, okay, this is the first chapter. But I want, to, let's look at chapter 21. And so then you turn to chapter 21 with them. Now we want to look at verse three. Ah, then it, it helps them to understand. And so it'll take a little while, but after a little while, they even get to know where the Bible, where the Bible books are, and uh, it makes it easier for them. And so now you have an idea and uh, of 
of Bible study. And I wonder if there are any uh, questions that you may have. So, Anine, thank you very much, uh, first of all, for this uh, presentation and the many um, yeah, examples that you gave and to improve for Bible, giving Bible studies. Um, Indeed, we do have some time now to answer questions. So I, I see that quite some people have found out how to congratulate with a dump. Thank you very much. But um, if possible, if someone has a, a question, um, please use also the button to raise hand. And then uh, don't also forget to uh, activate your microphone that we might hear actually your voice. And we see a first person. So, um, Douglas, I, it's up to you for your question. Hi, Pastor. I'm just wondering, um, I'm looking at your point. I think you had on question numbers, I mean, point number seven. Uh, I'm just wondering, sometimes, for example, when you're giving quite heavy studies, you could say, like the Mark of the Beast or Identifying American by Prophecy. Sometimes I don't feel it's sufficient enough time to go through the whole study in about 30 to 50 minutes. Um, so would it be okay to kind of like half the studies? So one week you do this, the first part, and then you continue the next part the, of the following week. Yeah, what I, what I do with, the, with that particular topic is I divide it into two. I do the first, identifying the beast, because I do an evangelistic meeting and I don't have an hour and a half. I usually have a, a 50 minutes uh, or 40 minutes. And so I do the market, I do the identifying the beast, and then the next study, and identifying the market of the beast. If you try to do the whole thing in one setting, uh, it's too long. Uh, but it's always better to divide that particular topic into two. Okay, thank you. Okay, I see more hands coming up, and the second person is uh, Nisha. Hi, Pastor Torres. I do have a question. So, um, and it's about the appeal. So you've mentioned that, yeah. so is the, is the appeal at the end of each study particular to that study? Or are you asking each time whether or not they're accepting Christ? And if, if someone, you get to the end of the study and they don't agree, they're not there yet. Um, what do you, do you, wait on that study and keep going back to that study until they accept that because it's supposed to, you're supposed to be building on each study so then do you wait until they get that and then what if they like it takes i don't know a year i don't know if that's ever happened to you where it just they never are able to like accept that whatever that that particular study is but um what do you do when then if you seem to be stuck thank you okay good question um number one it's a two-part question so the first part is this Nisha, uh, when you do a study, remember I said uh, state of purpose? If you state a purpose, then it's easier for you to make the appeal in harmony to that purpose, which would be in harmony with, with a particular topic, right? For example, I just gave a study on the Word of God, correct? I don't know if you, okay. And, but I showed that the Word, that the Bible points to who? To the author, Jesus, right? So my appeal was, would you accept Jesus as the author of the scriptures? Would you accept the scriptures as that which points to Jesus? You see what I'm saying? 
that makes sense? Now, if I'm studying about the state of the dead, then I have to make sure that I include Jesus in the state of the dead. And at the conclusion, I would say this, uh, now you understand that Jesus is the life giver. And the Bible says, he that have the son have life. He that have not the son of God have not life. Do you want life? Are you willing to accept Jesus as the one who will give you that eternal life? So uh, I point that lesson always to whom? To Christ. To Jesus. Okay. So the appeal is different in, in content because you're dealing with different subjects. But you always want to try to bring it back to whom? Christ. To Christ. All right. For example, if you teach about heaven and you find a finished with heaven, you don't want to say, now that you know that there are lions in heaven, you can pet them. Do you want to go to heaven? No, what's, what's the reason to get there? To see the one who's done so much for you. Okay. You long to be in heaven with your master, with your Lord, to be saved. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Okay, so my next seminar that I'm going to give Thursday will be on the appeals, how to make the appeals, how to develop the appeals, how to get that decision. Okay? But you need to make the appeal. Now, the second point in your question is this. Normally speaking, uh, when you are giving a Bible study, if you're watching the person, it can tell you whether or not the person actually is following you or not. Okay? In other words, Hopefully, you're not like I was to begin with when I was just so scared that I would look only at my notes. But I got to the place where I would look at the person and watch the person as I studied uh, with them. And as I saw how they were uh, leaning, if I needed to explain some more, then I would explain some more to them. And I would ask the question, is that clear? Okay. And they say, oh, yeah. No, well, no, then I would then do what I could to clear up a particular uh, knot that they're in so that by the time I get to the point of appealing, then those obstacles are not there. Does that make sense? It, it makes sense. It's just that are you always going to get someone who says yes at the end of a study? I mean, you're it's not going you, to... It's how you... Oh. Okay, Alicia, it's how you word it. Okay. Don't okay. don't don't word something so they can say no. Okay. Always word it so they can say, for example, I do not say now will you accept this? Because if I, I say now will you accept it, what am I setting up myself for? A yes or no. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, is there anything that would keep you from accepting this? That way, they reveal to you what is their particular, and I'll be dealing with that at the, when I talk about the appeal, okay? I'll give more examples on the appeal, how to get that decision, and how to deal with, because you have objections that come up, and you need to know how to deal with objections. So that will be in the next study that we'll do on, on Thursday. Thank you. I hope I have helped you. Yes, thanks very much. God bless. Great, thank you very much for the question and also the answer. And then we have a, a third question, it's uh, Veronica. Hello, thank you for your lecture. 
Um, I would like to ask, I'm not very experienced. I just got freshly baptized. Should I give Bible study even if I don't know the Bible properly myself? Even if I, you know, I haven't read it all yet? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Did you hear my response? Listen, let me, let me just share with you. When I first became a, a, a Christian, was through a conversion experience. I had no exposure to the Bible. I just had a, a reality that God took away from me all my uh, bad habits and addiction just like that, okay? So I knew there was a God and I wanted to serve him. But my reading level was about a kindergarten reading level. Because even though I was a professional musician, I did everything by ear. So I never had to read music. So I didn't know how to read music, right? So here's what happened, Veronica. I went into the, I got drafted or got taken into the army, okay, about a few months after. And I was thrown in with all of these uh, different people who believed, didn't believe, were atheists, etc., in the military during the war. Uh, but I didn't know the Bible, but I still wanted to share, all right? You understand? I had this burden to share. And so I would begin to, to share with somebody and I get beaten up, <laughs> and I'm saying beaten up because I didn't have the answer, and they throw these things at me and all that. And so I would then pray, and here's what I discovered. The more I shared, the better acquainted I became with the Bible, and the more I shared, the more I understood the questions that people had. You understand? And so since that's the case then, then it helped me to continue to grow in understanding and knowledge of the Bible. So don't mm -hmm. wait until you know the whole Bible in order to share, but share mm -hmm. so you can know the whole Bible. Yes, thank you. I do share it even if I don't know it all. And yes, but uh, one more thing. How do you get, um, how do you get the people to, to give them Bible studies? It's maybe not for you. It's for the, you know, evangelist. But Let's suppose, yeah, let's suppose, because, uh, um, you know, recently I, I was teaching some people mm -hmm. from another country with a different language how to reach Buddhists, okay? And so I then taught them what they needed to do. Uh, you take the lesson that you want them to, that you want to use with them. For example, we took, uh, for me it's I think stuck, it is written lesson. For me, it was stuck um, up until now. Sorry, I couldn't, I didn't hear anything. I'm sorry. Okay, can you hear me yes. now? Okay. Uh, my uh, thing is trying to tell me. This. Okay, so what I did was I ta taught them to take the lesson that, I, that they wanted to share, like the lesson number one, okay? And then they were to go to uh, the person. And if you take something and you hand it to somebody, they always grab it. It's just a natural reaction, okay? So I say to them, all right, here's what you do. You take the lesson, okay? I suppose this is the lesson. And I say, have you seen this before? And they take it. And then I just simply say, let's look at it for a minute. And I begin to explain what it's about. And then I, I say, look, i like to leave that with you so you can read it. And I'll come back and see how you like it. Mm -hmm. All right. And was it Bible or was it some, um, some book? No, Bible lesson. Yeah, it was a Bible lesson. 
So you can get Bible lessons that are already, re, uh, already written, okay? Mm, I can hear and, and you can share it. For example, uh, with my lessons that I was talking about on the, on the flash drive, you can, and you, it's easy. You say, hey, listen, I got this flash drive and there's some videos on it, on, on some lessons. And uh, I, I really enjoy them. And I'd like to share one with you. Mm -hmm. When can we get together? Don't say, would you like to? Mm -hmm. Okay, thank say, you. When can we get together? Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's, it's really not that difficult. In fact, by the time we've got finished there uh, with the Buddhists, we had 30 Bible studies going on mm. with, with, uh, with Buddhist families, uh, just teaching them the Bible. And when we finished, we had several Buddhists baptized. Then when these people returned back to their country, one of the girls who uh, took the, the training went back and this August 16th, she had 20 Buddhists baptized. Wow. Amazing, what do you say? Yes. So it's not very, the problem is more that we are scared, we are nervous. I'm we sorry, are, it's stuck you know, again. I can't hear anything right now. Yeah, it, what's interesting is this is that people will come and offer you a can of beer. Mm -hmm. Yes? Or they offer you, you know, they don't have any inhibition about saying, hey, would you like a drink, mm -hmm. right? But when it comes to us, we're afraid to say, would you like the Bible? So most of the time, the problem is that we are, we have a certain fear that people are going to reject. But I've learned that if they reject, that's fine. But I always try to do it in such a way that I appeal to them. Hey, um, I've been reading this that blessed me, and I'd like to share it with you. Mm -hmm. Have you ever have you seen this before? And that's all you need to do. And what do you and think? Some it, people will say, huh? "Sorry, sorry." What do you think? Some people say, "No, I'm not interested." Mm -hmm. But there will be people who are. Go ahead. And, and and what do you think is good to to do it with? Like, uh, do you have something, uh, uh, something, some book or some I don't know, you know, DVD or something that works well to give people out? Like, for example, me. For me, I was touched by a book from Roger Morno, Incredible Power of Prayer, which I was sharing with people because I, you know, I really liked it, and then I was giving it to people. Or book from Walter Fight about his journey from evolutionist to creationist. So is there something, what would you recommend that, you know, you like to share with people, how to kind of interest them? Always share that which interests you, uh, but don't assume that mm -hmm. it's gonna interest them. You like them and it's been a blessing yeah. to you. Uh, however, mm -hmm. if you want people to study, don't give them too much. If you give them a book, that's not a study. Mm -hmm. Okay. In other words, if you want to have Bible studies, then you need to have something that's shorter, like the Amazing Facts lessons, or there is written lessons, or other lessons that may be in your country. What country are you in? Um, I am in the UK, but I'm from the Czech Republic. Okay. So there's material in the Czech Republic for, uh, in your language, Bible studies that I know of. And if you're in Ukraine and you speak Ukrainian, I've been in Ukraine many times and they have Bible studies and lessons there that you can uh, give to people, to friends, young adults, etc. 
So either in Czech or in Ukraine, in both places, they, you can go to the churches and get some Bible studies that you can read for yourself, go through them in the Bible, underline your Bible with the verses that, that really speak to you. And then when you go and share with people, then you can share that which has been a blessing to you. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. And thank you. I, I see one more, but I don't know whether it's a hand or just a thumb. Is there anybody else who has a question? Yes, I do have a question as well, please. I, okay, well, then it's up to you. <laughs> okay, um, I've got a friend who is Muslim, who recently she decided she wanted to take my Bible and read through it. And in reading through it, I got this question from her yesterday. <laughs> and I, I'm just thinking about how to go about address it, addressing it. I told her to give me some time. Um, she said um, she's very disturbed by um, things that she has read in the Bible. It appears that the prophets are depicted in a negative manner. Um, she said in the Quran, we were taught that they were free from sin, alcohol, adultery, and polytheism. And then she listed some examples. Based on the Bible, Noah was supposedly a drunk. Lot was intoxicated so his daughters could conceive. Sarah, her jealousy drove Agar out of the land, but then they believe it otherwise because they're not Christian. They believe Abraham actually went with Agar. So these are her concerns. So my question, how is it um, you would address this to somebody who is of a different religious group? She's Muslim. What I do with, with uh, Muslims and what I do with Buddhists and other people is that I share with them when they come across those obstacles is that God never hides the, the uh, failings of human beings. Um, but the thing that I try to point into as reality is that even though these people have some failings, yet God in mercy could still help them to become better people. So as a result of uh, uh, Noah, uh, we still have the great-grandson Abraham. Abraham came from Noah, is that true? Yeah. Did Abraham drink? No. In other words, uh, you know, we, we, have, we have human beings that, are, that have weaknesses, and God does not hide that. With, but with it, God shows how merciful he is in helping even righteous people who make mistakes correct their ways. Yeah. It's, it's just, a, you know, obviously there are many things in the Bible that people can stumble over. Uh, but if, you, if, they, if that lady actually reads the Quran straight through, she'll discover uh, that Muhammad made some very, very uh, uh, strong statements about getting rid of this and killing this and doing that and doing this. Uh, so the reality is that uh, the Bible is written in such a way that reveals the great controversy between good and evil. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately the people who follow God are tempted 
but also are overcomers. For example, Samson. Samson uh, went to drinking and his drinking uh, got him to, to, start, to lust and um, he en ended up losing his eyesight. But while he was pushing uh, that uh, grinding stone, grinding the wheat for the Philistines, uh, he obviously had a time to rethink what he did. And he realized the mistakes he made and he repented. And the last act that he did was to return back to what God had, uh, had um, blessed him with, and that's the superhuman strength to accomplish the, the, uh, the deliverance of his people. And what he could not do with his two eyes, he was able to do in a blind measure. But what's interesting is this, that Samson is found in the book of Hebrews as one of the faithful. So even though people do make mistakes, like the thief on the cross, who obviously uh, was there because he did something wrong, but at the last moment, he uh, recognized his, his mistakes and cast himself upon the one who's merciful, and God then gave him the promise of eternal life. So we have these things happen because you and I are human, you and I make mistakes, and when we see what God can do with people who make mistakes, it gives us courage to know that he can also do the same for us. Yeah. And the, the next part of it talks about polytheism because in reading it, she wanted to have an understanding of the Trinity, but still in her head, the Bible is supporting polytheism. I'm, I'm holy what? So I'm saying, how would you address the part about polytheism? Because in her head, she's saying that the Bible is supporting polytheism, while in her faith, she believes that nothing else or no one else should be associated with Allah or with God. Okay. Uh, you see, the thing is that... Mohammed, who wrote the, the Quran, was writing against a religion that has established uh, something called uh, Trinity, uh, or that term, and who was abusing, using religion to, to uh, destroy people and attack people and all that. And so it was an uprising against the, the um, uh, abuses of religion. And uh, but even though they they uh, said the Trinity, yet they they focus on a woman as uh, the one to to worship. And so what what happened was that there was a a, uh, a reaction to a a, um, a a a religion that was not really representing God as they should have. So um, what I what I do with that is. Uh, if they if they read the scriptures uh, very clearly, uh, you can see that in the beginning it said, "Let us make man in our image." Correct? Yeah. And if it says, "Let us make man in our image," then obviously there must be one more than one. Yeah. And throughout the whole scripture, you find that there's more than one. For example, when the, in the days of Sodom uh, and Gomorrah. The Lord went to visit Abraham to talk to Abraham. And the Bible says that it was the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So, which is the word that the Jews use for Jehovah. Yeah. Now, 
if the Lord appeared to Abraham, then who appeared to him? It says the Lord. So you have to ask the question, which Lord appeared to him? Because it calls him Jehovah there. Well, it cannot be the Father because uh, the Bible says that no one has seen the Father. So it must be the Son or his Son. Nebuchadnezzar sees one like the Son of God. And uh, in the book of Daniel, it says that the Son uh, comes to the Ancient of Days that's sitting on the throne. So the Bible is very clear in the Old Testament that there's more than three. However, one God uh, is the problem. And the, the problem is that the term God is a misunderstood term. Uh, the word God simply defines, uh, describes a quality of a being who has all, now, all knowledge, all powerful and all knowing. All, pardon me, pardon me all, all present, all powerful and all knowing. So when you call somebody God, you're telling them, you're saying that that person has those qualities of, of, of being, quote, God. So if the word God is looked upon that way, then it's easier for us to understand that the word God is describing qualities and not necessarily uh, that is limiting to one person. And since it is describing quality, then it's easier for us to understand that the Father has those qualities, the Son has those qualities, and the Holy Spirit has those qualities. Mm -hmm. So those three different entities are revealed throughout the, the Bible. And, and, and it's interesting, the Quran was actually written about uh, 700 years after Christ. The Bible was written 1400 years before Christ. And, and obviously the Quran speaks about Christ as a, as a prophet, but not as, as God. And so the confusion is that the Muslims are, are taught from uh, a sacred writing that they have great confidence in but don't realize that that sacred writing actually uh, stems from the, the old ancient writings of, of uh, uh, Moses, the prophets, etc. And all Muslims believe in prophets. It's just that they haven't seen yet that Jesus is not just a prophet, but he actually has those uh, qualities of being omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient as the Father has. Uh, so it takes a little bit to walk a, a person of that uh, persuasion to understand the difference between one person or three persons that are, have the qualities of what we call God. Okay, yeah. Okay, excuse me to intervene, but uh, we have somewhere a schedule we should try to, to keep up. Um, so time is in fact already up. Um, but nevertheless, I, I really would like to, to take the time to thank, first of all, Pastor Torres for the lecture and answering all the questions and also to thank you to participate to this workshop. Um, and I also would like to ask Pastor Torres if he would like to lead us in a closing prayer of this workshop. Heavenly Father, we know that we have been called to be witnesses of that which we have seen and tasted and have felt. And we know that thou art a living God. We know that thy son also uh, has the same qualities. And we recognize that through him, we have access to the throne. And in the name of Jesus, we pray that you'll help each one of us to be more effective in bringing to light to others the truth 
of a savior who has had life unborrowed, who came and lived a life on this earth, who died and rose again, and who was waiting anxiously to take us home. Help us not to try to go home by ourselves, but help us to take some body along with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.